Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a nationally syndicated radio personality whose love for baseball is just as strong as the first time he walked into his first major league game when he was a kid. Everybody remembers this too, the first time you go to a game, when you walk through whatever the tunnel is, and you see the greenness of the grass, and the whiteness of the home uniforms, and the vividness of the red, and then it's like, is that Lou Brock? I mean... This whole thing is such a sensory experience that it's, it's almost overwhelming for a kid who's on the autism spectrum. It's like, this is, this is too much, but I love it. Like, it's baseball. I can't believe I'm actually here. Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. Sharing stories from players, managers, and coaches, writers, and broadcasters about their lives around baseball. From the sand lots to the big league ballparks. Life at the Ballpark is sponsored by Golden Rule Entertainment. Ever wanted to own a part of a baseball team? No, you can. Visit goldenruleentertainment.com to get into the game. I have, and so can you. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Brant Hansen. Thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Thank you. I am honored to talk to you, as always. Brian Hansen is a syndicated radio personality whose radio show, hosted with his producer Sherry, is heard on more than, what, 2,000 no. radio stations across well, the country? Well, now I feel small, but more like 200. <laughs> Two, only, only, only <laughs> yeah, 200. Like, no, he, not that big a deal. He's also an author, best-selling author, and he has his fourth book coming out in the spring. And you are the very first person I've ever had as a guest on my podcast who has absolutely nothing to do with baseball. <laughs> so this should be really oh, but interesting. I wanted to. I wanted to have something to do with baseball so bad. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I know yeah. about your love for baseball, and I know you're growing up in central Illinois, and I, you know, you're such a good storyteller on your own show, and I thought, well, this, would, this is going to be an interesting idea. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people can relate to this, especially if they're Cardinals fans. I know a lot of people listen, they're fans of everything, but... Being from central Illinois, from a small town, listen to KMOX every evening in the summertime. Every evening. And it faded in and out. And I just thought that was just the way of the world. Like, that's how radio works. It disappears. It comes back. And then I hear the same commercials, which I can still sing now. And you can probably sing along, too, because you remember KMOX back in the day. But it was everything. Like, and you know this, John. I'm on the autism spectrum. And there's a lot of people I think that can relate to this. I've even read in books about autism that we will have a thing. And especially when we're kids, when we're adolescents, that thing is everything. It might be trains. It might be, but they'll always list baseball statistics. It's a very common thing. And it's all I thought about. I didn't have dates in high school. I, did, I played ATBA, this tabletop game, and I kept stats. And I made up algorithms, and I read Bill James' baseball abstract. And all I did was think, and I found another guy who was also on the spectrum who moved into our town, and I would have two-hour-long phone conversations with him. He just lived across town with just four digits to call in our little town. His number was 3917. (laughs) Still remember. (laughs) And his mom and my mom were alarmed because we would just go back with, well, he's, he's... He's hitting 247 or also, like, if we came up with an algorithm to be able to analyze, you know, base running and take that into, like, that's all I talked about. It's hard to describe that level of passion. And we didn't have any money, and I went through a couple divorces, so 
with my parents. And there was some trauma going on. But every night I was at least able to hear Jack and Mike. And Mike Shannon was one of the few constants in my entire conscious life. Like it's, it's, it still feels like summertime when I just hear his voice. So for him to have just retired, it's one of the last connections I have to that era. Part of your life. It is. Yeah. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of people. There's, there was something about being whisked away to somewhere totally different, when, especially when your kids got problems. And I'm sitting on the porch in a small town, and it's summertime, and we're going through all sorts of stuff, a lot of different porches, a lot of different settings. We moved constantly. Like, even when I, we stayed in one town, I think we lived in six different houses. I moved about every nine months growing up. But there was always KMOX. And always, I was fascinated just to hear the rhythm of the game, to disappear from whatever was going on in our house, and start picturing in my mind what was going on at that stadium, wherever it was. I remember, like, I could turn it on, and I knew the Cardinals were playing the Mets tonight. Why? Because I heard airplanes. (laughs) Right? Because Shea Stadium, I knew from Jack would describe it, um, was right by the flight path for JFK or whatever. (laughs) And uh, those sounds just took me away from everything. So I, I don't think I'm alone in that. And, and it's why I'm in radio now. I wanted to be those guys. But I can't see either. I have real bad vision problems. And it didn't dawn on me until college. Like, I wanted to be a, a, the play-by-play guy for the Cardinals. It didn't dawn on me until college that I can't see the ball. And I even played baseball for years. I played in spite of the fact that I was terrible. I never got a hit. I played years and years of organized baseball all the way up into high school. Never got a hit. Your batting average was, was zero. zero for my entire life. I can't see the ball very well. Some coaches were afraid I'd get hurt. And in retrospect, that was really wise. Like there's, I kind of had no business being out there. But I loved the game so much. I just wanted to be part of baseball so bad. So it really was extreme. And... Now that everybody else is into sabermetrics and everybody's into advanced analytics and everything, it's almost like, oh, you don't even know. Don't even get me started on it because like, I'll lose myself in it. <laughs> it's too much. It's interesting when I ask people how they fell in love with baseball, they'll describe a time of their life or a relationship or a father or a grandfather. You describe it as a refuge. It totally was. And I would throw myself into it. And it's a lot of, a lot of different, honestly, a lot of there's a lot of heartbreak in there somewhere, and I don't want to make it too tragic or anything, but I mean, I was in high school, and on a Friday night, everybody else is doing stuff socially or whatever. I would go to my mom's uh, office. She was a secretary. It was a two-person shop for, it was called Assumption Township Mutual Fire Insurance Company, and she had a typewriter that would make columns and so I would go there and just take the statistics that I had generated with my fake games and then lay them out in columns for hours. It would just be me. She'd give me the keys to her office, and I would go to downtown, <laughs> downtown Assumption. Which, by the way, uh, when I would go to do that, I would cross a road. This is how intense it was where I lived. The Cubs had their following, and the Cardinals had their following. There was a literal line down the middle of the street, and one side of it was red and one was blue. It was painted on the street, and it was like, this is where the dividing line is between Cardinals and Cubs. And then the businesses on each side of the road were all already polarized. Oh, that's great. 
and they would put up their Cardinal stuff or Cubs stuff. So it was, it was, there was an intensity about that place too that was very baseball. Yeah, that's a very cool. It's interesting how you describe it, and you describe it so emotionally. It's such a, a part of your life, really almost something that identifies a part of your life. I think so. It, it, something about this particular game, I, I suppose people around the world, they, it's soccer, you know, European football or something, but I don't, there's something about the, the, the pacing or something that was so hypnotic to me. Something about the fact that I thought it was better on the radio than it was on TV. I still think that. Mm-hmm. There's something that captures that. And when I listen to other things on the radio, it can be intense, like basketball, football can be intense, but it doesn't have the pace that draws me in. Like it's like I'm halfway in a dream. I don't know how else to describe that. And it, it feels really comfortable to me. So my wife to this day, I love that I can get the MLB app because I can turn that on and it's got, still got that pace, different voices. You know, it's not, it's obviously not Jack Buck anymore, but it still has that pace that is very comforting to me. I can't be the only person like that, but I'm also a musician. I'm in radio, but so I'm kind of a, a listener. But that, that's the thing I fell in love with. I think it's just that unhurried pace. I remember the first time I went, ever went to Dodger Stadium. This was in the 70s, so it was before the internet. And if you've ever been to Dodger Stadium, you know that if you come in from the, from the downtown side, you actually enter in the upper deck. Hmm. And, you, and you walk into the canyon where the stadium is built. And this was in the day of transistor radios. And you hmm. would walk into Dodger Stadium, and you would hear the voice of Vin Scully oh, man. playing from people's portable radios that oh. they had with them yes. at their seats. Okay, This so, was not the PA system. No, right, right. So I remember something related to this. Because the first game I went to was in 77, I think. It was August. And I should know the exact day because it was the day Elvis Presley died. Oh, wow. And I remember we went to St. Louis and then it came over the radio with the news. But I also remember arriving there. It was a night game against the Mets. And, of course, you're a kid. You've only dreamed of this your entire life, actually being at the stadium. It's like going to a Coliseum in Rome or something, you know, as a gladiator. So you just can't believe what you're seeing. But also... Hearing as after we parked the car somewhere, you know, paid our five bucks or whatever, and hearing Jack Buck's pregame voice echoing all over the city, like it was ricocheting yep. off the buildings and the. I was just, I was just beyond. And then everybody remembers this too. The first time you go to a game, when you walk through whatever the tunnel is, and you see the greenness of the grass and the whiteness of the home uniforms and the vividness of the red, and then it's like, is that Lou Brock? <laughs> I mean. You can't forget that that's, there's, it's such a sensory experience. The smell of everything. Back in the day, you could smell cigarettes, but you could smell beer. Mm-hmm. You could smell the, the popcorn. Like, this whole thing is such a sensory experience that it's, it's almost overwhelming for a kid who's on the autism spectrum. It's like, this is, this is too much, but I love it. Like, it's baseball. I can't believe I'm actually here. Do you have a favorite memory of going to the ballpark? Okay, this, the odds of this happening are infinitesimal. Someone should, there's no way this happened, but it did. In fact, we drove all the way back to where we lived in central Illinois. At the time, we were in Champaign. I'm an adult at this time, and I went with two friends. One of them was a, a high school kid. He was a senior, and he was at my church, and I really liked him. His name's Sobeck. Great guy, but huge Cardinals fans. We're there. We talked about it all the way back home. We like, did that really happen? I can't believe it happened. Like, we're all, we were like, that kid didn't have So here's what we did. We did this game where you would pick a player on each team before the game, 
and we would keep it on a scorecard. Pretty simple. You get a point for every base. So if a guy gets a double, that's two points. If he steals a base, that's a point. If he strikes out, you lose a point. If he hits a home run, it's four points, plus any RBI is a, is a point. And the winner got, the other guys had to buy like a hot dog or you know, a burger and fries on the way out <laughs> and a Coke or whatever. So I'm behind. This is against the Expos. And I remember Andy, Al, Alan Bennis was pitching for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the only way I could win, I was so far down. And Sobek is, he's a talker and he's a smack talker. So he was, ta- he was already counting, like, I won, you guys blew it. You know, I told you you should have picked this guy or whatever. And I'm down five points. And the Expos are losing. It's like five to nothing or four to nothing in the top of the ninth. Okay. And the only way I can possibly win is if my guy Rondell White gets to the plate and gets six points. But he's not due in that inning unless somebody gets on. There's two outs. Somebody gets on. We're sitting in the outfield. Rondell White proceeds to come to the plate, and the only way I can win is if he hits a two-run homer. But they're being shut out. Like, it's over. The Cardinals fans are ready to go home. Everybody's in a party mood. 35,000 people there. Rondell White not only hits a home run, he hits a ball, and it comes right at us. Hits my friend Sobek on the chest. <laughs> drops into the flower bed. I grab the ball. He didn't get to keep it. And the crowd is cheering as I get the ball out of the flower bed. And I chucked it back on the field. Ooh. And at this point, everybody's ready to party or whatever. So they're all like, yeah. So 30-some thousand people are cheering me. Like, the impossibility. Like, 30 seconds ago, he was gloating. Now he's, his hand is like hurt. He's like hands hurt. He's swelling up. And he's like, I can't believe this happened. I've, I've choked. I didn't get the ball. And the crowd is cheering me. And I won the thing. So on the way out, we had to get ice for him. But also I made him buy me a hot dog. <laughs> like, what are the odds that the dude not only comes to the plate, but he hits it directly to you? I've never gotten a ball at a game before. Ever. Yeah, never been close. Never been close. Yeah. We could see, and as the ball was coming towards us, I mean, the crowds rising. Like, I could, I, is this really happening? <laughs> it's in slow motion. And to ricochet <laughs> off of him as he's talking smack, like the ball is hit, and it ricochets <laughs> off my friend. Yeah. The whole way home, we're like, did that really happen? Like the the odds against that are just insurmountable. It's, right. your, it's your five minutes of fame. Well, it was. I felt like I, suddenly, like, sure. talk about a reversal. Yeah. I, I'm a loser. No way. The entire crowd at Bush Stadium is not cheering me. Like, what are the odds of that happening? Jack Buck and Mike Shannon drove home talking about you. <laughs> I'm sure that was me. Who is that kid? Sign him Sign up. He's somehow won it. How do you do it? That's a winner. <laughs> yeah, I just sometimes I remember that. A lot of good memories. But honestly, I didn't get to go to that many games. We didn't have any money growing up. So it was always this, it was always this dream. And this is the, another irony, too. And as you know, I'm a believer in God. Like, I think things happen sometimes because God's got a sense of humor and he's just so good. But I never thought I'd be able to go to Florida to a spring training game. I dreamed of it. It, was, it, oh, it was, just seems so distant. Yeah. I mean, going to St. Louis was a big deal. Sure. Because you don't have any money. Like, once a year, maybe once every two years, I'd be able to get a ride with somebody or somebody gives a ticket or something, you know. I dreamt of it. So the irony is, and John knows this as he's doing this interview, but where we are now, we're like practically next door to the Cardinal Spring Training Stadium. It's where I live, and I'm I'm thankful every day. Like I cannot believe that we get to be here. That I'm that it's still exciting to me. Like 
to see them. Like, I'll just, I'll be out going for my walk or whatever and look over and there they're all practicing out by the road. It's the Cardinals. Mm, it's your neighborhood. And it's, it's my childhood. Yeah. Those uniforms, all of that, it's different guys, right? But we, we cheer for the laundry and I'm on a walk and I'm looking over and there's my, they're right there through the chain link fence. They're right there. Like those are the St. Louis Cardinals. It's like Field of Dreams kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And uh, I do not take that for granted. The other remarkable thing, and John, you know this, of course, because you helped me do it. That is, it could never be a play-by-play, but I wound up subbing for you, subbing uh, up at Port St. Lucie, do the Mets games, do the Cardinals games, Marlins games as the PA guy. So I got to announce, you know, Albert Pujols is batting, you know, now batting. I can't see the ball. I still can't see the ball. <laughs> but I can at least see with binoculars. Hey, that's number five. Right? I know that's Albert Pujols coming up. So now batting for the Cardinals, I can see who's on deck. And I've gotten to do that for a bunch of major league games and a bunch of minor league games. It's just, I'm in heaven. It's so ironic. I just, I just think it's this, the odds of that happening too, absent some sort of a plan, like to just listen to the radio and dream I could even see a game. But now to be an introduction. At the microphone. At the microphone. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It is cool. <laughs> you remind me of, uh, I also grew up in a small town, this one mm-hmm. in West Texas. And I can remember when we finally got WGN on cable and watching an afternoon game from Wrigley Field and really thinking to myself, I was in high school, thinking to myself, Chicago, I'll never, (laughs) ever go to Chicago. That might as well have been Mars. Yes. And of course, I've been to Wrigley Field numerous times, worked in radio in Chicago. But the idea that it was so distant from where you were, and it's, it's, it's almost a... A sign of the age you are, too. It's also childhood and maturity and adolescence yeah. and adulthood. That thing that was so far away becomes right there and now. You're now you're announcing Albert Pools. I don't want to lose that yeah. one. And I know, too, like, I grief, I'm older than these guys now. I mean, but I don't want to lose some of that dreamlike quality that goes with that. And just, or this, just the sense of humor about it or the beauty of it or whatever. Because people can relate to this, people who are radio people. You would have an AM radio, and you're supposed to be going to sleep, but you turn it on, and you just start going through late at night. Maybe the Cardinals game got rained out or something. So I'm just going and pick it up. Wow, Cleveland. I'm listening to people in Cleveland right now. like, Or, dare I say, New York City. Like, I'm listening to the Yankees. That's just actually the right way to perceive that is the way we used to perceive it. That is a miracle. Yeah. That is a miracle. And it still is. It's just we take it for granted. We just don't think that's any big deal at all to see pictures live from outer space or whatever. Like, that's, that is a miracle. Humans do, have not had that before. And uh, uh, it should be magical. Bob Costas tells the story of moving from New York to California. And it was the milestones of driving west, picking up the new cities... <laughs> with the new ballpark. <laughs> exactly. So you, when you got to Denver, you could pick up the California stations, right? right? And you could hear the Dodgers and the Giants. And that was the audio milestone for his moving to California. And he still remembers it as very special sitting there on, in the car with his dad. I think for me, my dad was a Cardinals fan. Of course, dads are intimately involved in this. So I wanted to be a Cardinals fan because of him. He's very pessimistic. And his dad was super pessimistic. So I've adapted some of that. I just told you, we, I can't watch this game tonight as we're recording. Like, 
There's a big game. I can't watch it because I'll just drive myself crazy. <laughs> um, but they would shut it off first inning. Like, Cardinals go down one to nothing. Forget it. Shut it off. And I, I was like, I don't want to be like that. But my dad's gotten better about that. And my brother was a great athlete. And sometimes he, he's not on the spectrum. He's very good socially, but he's very athletic. And so for me, his commitment to the sport, like I couldn't play it like him, but I could at least analyze it. I could like, like do the math and stuff like that. That's my, that's what I brought to the table. You've written four books. One of the books we can relate a baseball story to in that you heard from someone well-known in baseball who read your book. Yeah. Tell us that story. Well, it's just, I opened up my uh, emails going through, you get notes from radio listeners and, you know, stuff. And uh, it was from Mike Matheny. And I've never talked to him before. He's just Former like, Cardinal he's manager, like, now Royals manager. Yeah, he said, you may not know who I am, uh, but you probably do because I read in your book that you're a, you were a Cardinals fan. So, you know, I'm guessing you do. Uh, I'm now with the Royals and I read your book. I got to tell you, it was really helpful. And I was, I was so appreciated that. That's like, so cool. Yeah, just out of nowhere. Just for me going through a bunch of everybody's important. But that was like, I have this connection. Like, I've never talked to him, but for him to reach out to me before I did it to him is really, really awesome. It's really cool. Tell me about that book. Um, that was my first book called Unoffendable, and it's all about forgiving people and having to deal with anger. And I think anybody, you know, obviously, when you're a baseball manager, you're there to be fired, no matter what. And people will question, no matter, it doesn't matter. Like, what you do, you're going to, everybody's going to be upset. And then they'll be upset the next guy and the next guy after that. But that's got to be tough to put up with. So I appreciated him saying, you know, he has to, like any, any of us, I mean, radio, you have to, you, you're going to criticize no matter what, but I want to forgive people. It makes life better. So that was, that was cool. And so he reached out to you saying that that meant something to him. Yeah, I think probably airdropping it all over uh, everybody right now wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> if I could just pay for that, I would totally do it. I think it's good for anybody in anybody any line of work, but I can I can absolutely see somebody who has to deal with the, the level of criticism that somebody is in as a baseball manager. One of the funniest things I remember I met I did meet Joe Girardi, and this was after he had left the Marlins or something I can't remember I can't remember the sequence, but he was doing TV for Fox, and he was great. He was a really great announcer. And I had met him at this like charity race or whatever. And I'm actually, he just took the Yankees job at the time. I'm like, I'm going to miss you on TV. You're actually really good at that. He's like, don't worry, I'll be back in a year. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. He's like, it wasn't on the air or anything. He's just like, no, don't worry. I'll, I'll be gone. They'll, they'll fire me. Like, you can't win. And so I just thought that that's a tough, tough role. So being able to forgive people in that role is, is vital. Remember what Clint Hurdle told me on a previous podcast, former manager of the Pirates and the, and the Rockies. He said to me, second guessing is so much easier than first guessing. He oh, says, totally. in, first, in second guessing, you get two choices. He says, first guessing, you got to nail it. Yeah, yeah. And everybody has to analyze it. And like, you might have a good process and bad result. The process may be perfect. Everything you did was the exact right choice and it didn't work out. And so, bam, you can be riding home. You want to listen to sports and hear how horrible a person you are. I mean, that's gonna be it's gonna be really tough and like surreal. I don't know how they how they how they do that without just having a mindset of forgiving people ahead of time. I get the sense that your love for baseball is just as strong as it's ever been. It is. I know. Like and again, 
I can take things too far. Like I can delve in too much. I, I do it with my eating patterns. I do it with all sorts of stuff where I just, I lock on to a certain food. And I, for years it was toast. Many years. It still would be if I didn't have to wean myself from it. So the toast thing is real. Oh, my gosh. It's not just a part of your show. No, no. Like, yeah, I, that was a real thing. I would eat a loaf of toast every morning by 9 a.m. And I had to quit because I finally did the math on the carbs and stuff. Like, I, did, I, thought it was, I thought it was healthy and it's not. But I do love it. I'm trying to love it in a healthy way without throwing myself too far into it. Because you can, like, the, on with the availability of analytics now, like fan graphs and stuff like that, or just baseballreference.com, all that stuff. That's sweet nectar for somebody like me. And I've got to be able to do other stuff like write books. <laughs> you mean there's more to life than eating toast? Apparently. Okay. Yeah, and coming up with your own algorithms. So tell me about your new book coming out in the spring. It's called The Men We Need. And uh, I think there's a, this is just my opinion, there's a confusion about what masculinity is. We know what it shouldn't be. We don't want to be toxic. We get that. But, okay, then what is it? What is the distinctive aspect of that? And the good thing is when I'm, what I'm talking about, women, I've, I've been having them proofread it, look at it, check it over, what do you think? And they're cheering it on. Like, they're like, every guy needs to read it. So I'm really excited about that. I'm not saying that to sell the book. I just mean, like, if somebody's thinking it's going to be another, you need to be a tough man. Like, it's, it's not that. But there is, there is something about being a protector and a cultivator like a keeper of the garden is what I call it. And so I try to flesh that out to give, especially younger guys, a positive vision for who we're supposed to be. Because most times, but they don't know. They really don't know who we're supposed to be. It's good stuff. And when will it be out? That'll be in March. Okay. And the name of it? It's called The Men We Need. Okay. Yep. Well, I got to admit, when we were preparing for this podcast, I, I was a little uncomfortable in that I know how to prepare for a podcast with somebody who's in baseball, but I don't know how to prepare for a podcast. <laughs> somebody that washed out completely. Yeah, with somebody talking about baseball who's never been in baseball. I tried. But you made it, you made it so fun. I won Mr. Hustle. Yeah, well, there you go. Assumption Little League. Yeah. And that still baffles me. Imagine yeah. that. Think about that. Here's a guy who never got a hit. I was Mr. Hustle within the bounds of the batter's box. Somehow. I mean, that's... That's not a small accomplishment. Well, Brian Hansen, Mr. Hustle. Thank you. Thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Thanks, man. Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is sponsored by Golden Rule Entertainment. If you've ever wanted to own a part of a baseball team, now you can. Visit goldenruleentertainment.com to get into the game. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. Project manager is Matt Mutt. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark. <laughs>